If you're gay, then you're gay. Don't pretend that you're straight. You could be who you are any day of the week. You are unlike the others, so strong and unique. We're all with you. If you're straight, well, that's great. You can help procreate and make gay little babies for the whole human race. Make a world we can live in where the one who you love's not an issue. Cause we're all somewhere in the middle. We're all just looking for love to change the world. Ah. And we're all here in it together. Thanks for tuning in and welcome to IMRU Radio Magazine. The nation's longest running lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender radio show. Out front and out loud since 1974, I'm Ms. Barbecue. I'm Abby Dees. And I'm Steve Pride. Tonight we'll talk with Jessica Stern, Executive Director of Eagleherk, the International Gay and Lesbian Human Rights Commission. We'll chat up Jim Ferrat about what he saw and did on the night of June 28, 1969, at the Stonewall Inn in New York City. Plus, we've got the scoop on the film Eat With Me, which Wolf has just released on DVD. And you could win your own copy. Honey, your very own DVD copy, hey? And how am I going to do that? I'm going to call you, and you're going to tell me the number later, right? Yes, right. Well, can I get my phone out now? You can get your phone out now and get, get, it, get it ready. Should I say the but number? But first... No. The national and international news from this way out. (laughs) I'm Tanya Kane Perry. And I'm Wenzel Jones. With News Wrap, a summary of some of the news in or affecting LGBT communities around the world for the week ending June 6, 2015. A federal court has made Guam the first U.S. territory to open civil marriage to lesbian and gay couples. U.S. District Court Chief Judge Francis M. Tadinko Gatewood issued the decision in a packed courtroom on June 5th that the island's ban on marriage equality violates the constitutional right to equal protection under the law. Loretta Pangolinen and Kathleen Aguero sued for the right to wed after being denied a marriage license in April. The district court decision is reportedly set to take effect immediately. The couple's attorney, R. Todd Thompson, told the media that they themselves plan to make it legal on June 20th. Rulings in the U.S. District Court of Guam are subject to review by the Ninth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals. The Ninth Circuit has ruled for marriage equality wherever it has jurisdiction, so Guam Attorney General Elizabeth Barrett Anderson agreed with the plaintiffs that the issue in the territory had virtually been settled. Mexico's Supreme Court appears to have moved the country closer to nationwide marriage equality. The High Court and several lower courts, have already ruled that same-gender couples in several states have the right to civil marriage under the Mexican Constitution. But according to a report by BuzzFeed's J. Lester Fetter, because of the country's often confusing and complicated court system, he tweeted that it's the most annoying legal system of any country I have ever reported on. None of those decisions has been binding in future cases. So civil marriage equality in Mexico has literally had to progress on a case-by-case basis. But Fetter cited a June 3rd blog posting by Supreme Court clerk Geraldina Gonzalez de la Vega that the justices have, for the first time, issued a blanket statement on the issue, deciding that any state law that says the goal of marriage is procreation 
Andor defines marriage as celebrating the union of a man and a woman is unconstitutional. This was not the first time that the High Court's ruling included that exact sentence. Colima was the state in question in this case, but it was also the fifth in which the court has used this language. And five, says Feder, is a magic number in the Mexican legal system. Along with rulings involving Oaxaca, Baja California, Sinaloa, and the state of Mexico, the Colima ruling forms a new generic jurisprudence that's binding on judges in all 31 states of Mexico, including those where civil marriage has thus far been denied to same-gender couples. Even with this ruling, however, gay and lesbian couples won't be able to legally marry through a simple visit to the local registrar's office. Some registrars are already issuing marriage licenses to same-gender couples based on the court rulings, and this week's decision insulates them from being punished for doing that. But registrars aren't required to follow this ruling. It's only binding on judges. So while activists are celebrating the Supreme Court ruling, the fight for marriage equality in Mexico is far from over. A gay couple in Costa Rica won a two-year legal battle this week when a family court judge granted them common law marriage status. Heterosexual common law marriage in Costa Rica offers all the benefits of traditional marriage, including inheritance, hospital visitation rights, social security, and public insurance benefits, but requires the approval of a judge after a couple has been together for at least three years. Gerald Castro and Christian Zamora had already been living together for 12 years. A change to the country's laws in 2013 opened common law marriage to same-gender couples, but this is the first time one has been granted. The landmark ruling, Central America's first to legally recognize a same-gender couple, could set a precedent for other judges in the country to follow. But right-wing conservatives are expected to file an appeal, so the struggle for couples' equality continues. A civil unions bill is pending in Costa Rica's Legislative Assembly. LGBT pride is off to a bumpy start in this traditional month of June. The Ukrainian Ministry of Internal Affairs reported nine injuries among the more than 2,000 police officers in riot gear deployed to protect an LGBT march for equality in Kiev on June 6th. Right-wing opponents threw flares and other objects as they tried to disrupt the peaceful march of about 150 LGBT people and their supporters carrying rainbow banners and placards. While the police successfully protected the marchers, one of the nine officers injured was said to have a serious shrapnel wound to his neck. About 25 anti-gay protesters were arrested. Right-wing forces have disrupted previous efforts to hold LGBT pride events in Kiev. Ukrainian President Petro Poroshenko had vowed to protect this year's march, while Kiev Mayor Vitaly Klitschko wanted it to be canceled because it would inflame hatred. Organizers have canceled this year's annual Pride March in Slovakia's capital of Bratislava. They blame the rampant homophobic rhetoric that surrounded a recent anti-LGBT referendum. It failed, but only because voter turnout did not exceed the required threshold. Almost 9 in 10 who did vote approved the definition of civil marriage as exclusively heterosexual, as well as bans on adoption by lesbians and gay men. They also voted to allow parents to keep their children out of sex education classes. Pride organizers told the Slovak Spectator that they want the event to be a peaceful, pleasant, and cultural expression of pride, as contrasting to the degradation and putting down that LGBTI constantly experience in their lives. They said several alternative events are in the works and promised that next year's march will exceed all expectations. Moscow's annual Pride March was banned this year for the 10th consecutive time. 
and once again, a few LGBT activists defied the ban, even despite Russia's explicit 2013 statute that outlaws the dissemination of so-called gay propaganda. About 30 anti-equality thugs pelted the small group of Pride participants with rocks and rotten eggs and pepper sprayed and assaulted some of them before riot police belatedly intervened. About a dozen people, both LGBT Pride demonstrators and anti-queer protesters, were arrested. High-profile LGBT activist Nikolai Alexiev was among three people who were reportedly sentenced to 10 days in jail for disobeying police orders. He arrived at the Pride demonstration on a quad bike, waving rainbow flags and letting off orange smoke before he was apprehended. The detention of the three activists may be the first time that any have been jailed for attempted pride in Russia. Offenders in the past have generally been detained, fined, and released. Organizers of South Korea's annual Pride Festival vowed this week to parade in downtown Seoul on June 28th, even though they were refused a police permit for it, following protest actions by conservative Christian groups. The Korea Queer Festival kicks off in the coming week, and more than 20,000 people had been expected at the event-topping parade on the 28th. But police officials cited public safety and traffic disruption as reasons to ban the march. It's the first ban since the annual Queer Festival began 15 years ago. The parade has attracted a growing number of participants in recent years, but also an increasing crowd of conservative Christian critics. They disrupted last year's march by lying in the street, and this time around they tried to block the event by filing competing applications for the same dates and venues. Wu Ji Young of the Queer Festival's organizing committee told Agence France Presse that the police should protect the rights of free expression rather than siding with those trying to suppress it. The parade will go on whether the police ban it or not. And finally, sorry Disney folks, but your theme parks aren't the happiest place on earth, at least for gay men. The winner is Iceland, according to the Washington Post. An Amsterdam-based dating and community website and app collaborated with Johannes Gutenberg University in the German city of Mainz to conduct an online survey of some 115,000 gay men around the world. Researchers combined rankings on how gay men feel about society's view on homosexuality, how they feel they are treated by other people, and how satisfied they are with their own lives into one worldwide ranking, which they called the Gay Happiness Index. Iceland tops the list as the country where gay men are the happiest. It's followed by Norway, Denmark, and Sweden, Uruguay, Canada, Israel, the Netherlands, Switzerland and Luxembourg round out the top 10. The 10 countries where gay men are the least happy, according to the rankings, and not much of a surprise, are Kazakhstan, Ghana, Cameroon, Iran, Nigeria, Iraq, Kyrgyzstan, Ethiopia, Sudan, and Uganda. That's News Wrap for the week ending June 6th, 2015. Produced by Steve Pride, written by Greg Gordon, and recorded at the studios of KPFK Los Angeles. Follow the news in your area and around the world. An informed community is a strong community. News Wrap from This Way Out is brought to you by you. Help keep us on the air and in your ears at thiswayout.org, where you can also read the text of this newscast. For This Way Out, I'm Tanya Kane Perry. And I'm Wenzel Jones. You can hear all 30 minutes of the latest This Way Out, including more news rep on Stitcher Radio On Demand, iTunes, on iTunes, or thiswayout.org. 
okay, well, the world is spinning so fast, at least for me, because I have a lot of ADD, that it can be hard hard to keep track of everything that is going on. Yet, despite the fact that we can feel like we are being increasingly overloaded with information, it's not clear that we're always doing a very good job of making sense of all that data. Well, luckily, luckily, I'm glad you brought that up, because luckily... Help us, Steve. (laughs) Help us, Steve. Help us. There's one organization out there that's not just keeping tabs, but it's trying to make this a better planet for LGBTIQ folks everywhere. My name is Jessica Stern, and I'm the executive director of the International Gay and Lesbian Human Rights Commission, which has the acronym IGLHRC, which we pronounce as IGLHRC. And what does IGLHRC do? I'm so glad you asked, Steve. We fight for the human rights of LGBTI people around the world. We've been doing it for 25 years. We were founded in 1990 in the Bay Area. We grew out of the crisis around HIV and AIDS in the U.S., which I think helped a lot of Americans at the time realize that you couldn't confront crisis solely within national borders. When there's a a major problem that our community faces, you actually have to think beyond what one government is doing because, of course, our problems go beyond what one government does, and and the solutions actually are found in the knowledge of communities around the world. Today, we are 20 people globally. I like to call us small but mighty, and most of our staff is actually based outside of the U.S., so our international headquarters is in New York, where the U.N. is headquartered, and we do a lot of work conducting advocacy at the U.N., monitoring what governments say and do in our name, and then we have staff around the world, everywhere from South Africa to Germany to the Philippines and beyond. What are some of the hot spots for gay rights in this world? It depends on how you define a hot spot. There's that which is in the headlines, and then there's that which is people's everyday lived experience. Certainly, I think a lot of your listeners have had the opportunity to hear about the struggles of LGBT people in Russia in recent years or in Uganda in recent years. But really, the hot spot is wherever you live, where you are unsafe. But breaking news, a couple of weeks ago in Malawi, President Mutharika signed a marriage bill into law, which ostensibly aimed to establish an older age for marriage because marriage of girl children was such a huge problem. But in the process, what the government did was they actually established the first ever definition of marriage as strictly a heterosexual union between two people of the opposite sex. And they actually established the first ever definition in Malawi of um, that effectively criminalizes transgender lives. And what they did was they said gender should be determined based solely on the sex assigned at birth. So Malawi, this country that really everyone forgets, is in my mind one of the hot spots today. But while horrific laws grab the headlines, even in countries with more benign legislation on the books, there's often a big difference between the laws and the lived experience. I think you're right about this. For instance, if we were to move from Malawi to a different region of the world, we at Iqalhurk have been doing a lot of work in Iraq in recent years. The legal framework actually isn't bad in Iraq, but the problem is that of the countless hate-motivated killings of people perceived to be gay, there's been zero prosecutions 
by the government. There's been zero investigations into the violence by the government. And in many instances, militias have actually been responsible for the violence. Yet in the current configuration with the rise of ISIS, you see the government of Iraq actually entering into formal agreements and partnerships with the militias. So the situation for LGBT Iraqis is more unstable, more dangerous than ever. Because before, whereas they had to fear the family, community violence, and impunity by the state, now all of that's increased radically with ISIS claiming to execute men for acts of sodomy. And how does Eagle Hook keep up with it all? It's impossible to keep up with both the setbacks and the progress. And that really defines the moment that we're living through. Every day you can read in the papers or on Facebook, or you can talk to your friend in a different community halfway around the world, and you can read about something amazing happening. Because everywhere you look, LGBTI, people and communities are standing up, we're organizing, and we're asserting our rights. It's a moment of excitement and enthusiasm and passion and audacity. But what happens when you stand up and you demand your rights? In many instances, you become visible. And in many instances, the consequence of asserting what you want is that people notice and there's a backlash. And both things are true. And if you follow the academia on the topic, the language is that of polarization. So you could say... There are certain LGBTI communities that are experiencing legal recognition and resources and safety, unlike anything our community has ever seen in the history of the world. And then at the same time, you're seeing these catastrophic blows that are introducing old forms of criminalization and coming up with entirely new categories. So if you take the example of, say, Russia, A lot of your listeners are familiar with the anti-gay propaganda laws in Russia. Well, the anti-gay propaganda law relies on the oldest and most offensive stereotypes about our people. What is the basis? LGBT people are pedophiles, we're predators, and we believe that child sexual abuse is okay. And of course, we all know that is an old way of attacking what is actually this free speech of LGBT people access to information, and fundamentally community organizing and the right to assembly and the right to association, just fundamental human rights. But we're also seeing new forms of criminalization being introduced. So if you want to move to the Gambia, which is one of the smallest countries in Africa, physically and in terms of population, no one's talking about how the Gambia signed into law basically a replica of the anti-homosexuality bill from Uganda. And why doesn't anybody know? Well, the Gambia doesn't have the same level of political influence. It doesn't have the same amount of resources. And the Gambian LGBT community isn't as organized as the Ugandan LGBT community is. But the point that's really terrifying there is twofold. One, it shows that The evolution of laws criminalizing our people has moved from these sort of nebulous, vague laws that criminalize certain acts, like the notion of acts against nature, 
to today where you see the criminalization of perceived homosexual identity or perceived LGBT identities. And that's what you saw in the anti-homosexuality bill in Uganda. That's what you see in the Gambia. It's not that a certain act is against the law. It's the very notion of who you are that becomes criminalized. And that's quite dangerous. The second thing that it demonstrates that I think is quite frightening, and it's not just the Gambia and Uganda and Russia and other places, but it shows the way homophobia and transphobia are actually contagious. So part of what we're seeing today is we're seeing these model bad laws that are then being picked up in some instances verbatim and dropped into other legal contexts and then being passed into law. So right now the people of Kyrgyzstan, the LGBT people of Kyrgyzstan, are fighting against an anti-propaganda law modeled on the Russian version. What's the impact of America's right-wing evangelical Christian activists on the rest of the world? Well, I'd love to say to you, Steve, that the LGBT community, the progressive community, the human rights community is organized, but the other guys aren't. But you and I know that's just not the case. The American evangelical community is as organized, if not better, than we are They have as many resources, if not more, than we are, and it has consequences. So in many instances, you're seeing little-known and or discredited U.S.-based evangelicals gaining popularity, gaining strength, gaining resources and influence by exporting their hateful ideology around the world. So you see the Scott Livelys of the world popping up not only in Uganda, but in Eastern Europe. And they're unrepentant. And so I think part of the response to that, for those of us who are members of the American left, the queer left in the U.S., is to say, we need to hold our American evangelicals accountable. They're our problems, so we have to work to fight them. The LGBT agenda in the U.S. is mostly set by our large nonprofits. How does that agenda impact money for the global LGBT battle? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. I think that it is impossible to understand global LGBT politics without understanding the representations of LGBTI rights agendas. And in order to understand the values and images that are assigned to what the opposition says we want. You have to have an analysis of power. And what that means is you have to understand that what the U.S. LGBTI movement says and does has a ripple effect around the world because the U.S. is, at present, the world's waning superpower. I remember when I first started doing this work full-time, it was around 2004, and I worked at Human Rights Watch. And one of the first cases I worked on was in the United Arab Emirates. And the case I worked on stemmed from a dinner party that a group of gay men organized. So they have a couple of friends over for dinner, and after dinner they start dancing. The music gets a little loud, and the neighbors call in a noise complaint which in many parts of the world would be a nuisance, but little more than that. But in this context, it was a nuisance that grew into a life-threatening event because the police showed up and they discovered a group of men gathered who they considered to be undesirable. They considered to be transgressors. And next thing you know, this utterly mundane dinner party is 
featured in the paper as a gay wedding, and the attendees are charged with a variety of dubious offenses. Breaking morality, I think there was an offense around drinking. And I always remember this incident, which now took place more than 10 years ago. And I asked myself, why were they accused of having a gay wedding when, if anything, what they were doing was having dinner as a group of friends? And it's because the U.S. LGBT movement's emphasis on marriage as a goal has become a symbol, rightly or wrongly, of what LGBTI people around the world are assumed to want. And I think what's really terrifying about this is that there are many communities that either don't want marriage or it's not their priority or it's not on the horizon and yet it's being assumed or ascribed to them as their agenda. And I think a really good example is Nigeria where the former Nigerian president, Good Luck Jonathan, signed into law the same-sex marriage prohibition law. And on its face, you might think that there was a need to prohibit same-sex marriage in Nigeria because that's what the name of the law is. But actually, LGBTI activists in Nigeria were not asking for marriage. What they were asking for was equal rights, access to health care for members of the community that are HIV positive, equal treatment of lesbians, the ability to resource their organizations, all of these things that are absolutely not about marriage. But under the guise of discrediting them, the government introduces this law, which has this name that riles the opposition against LGBTI Nigerians. And if you don't actually look at the law, you might be tricked into believing it's just about making gay marriage illegal. It's like one of those constitutional amendments that the U.S. is so familiar with fighting. But actually, what the law does is it criminalizes free speech. It criminalizes association. It makes it very hard to do LGBTI activism or for allies to be in solidarity. So what happens in the U.S., to your question, Steve, has ripple effects around the world for good and for ill. And so I actually think personally, as a queer activist and as an American, I feel this immense obligation to represent a more nuanced agenda to say in the U.S. we are also fighting for employment equality. We are also addressing the disparities of treatment of transgender people and particularly people of color in our community. Marriage may be an agenda for some, but many of us are looking at a broader agenda of liberation. This has been a conversation with Jessica Stern, Executive Director of Eagle Herc the International Gay and Lesbian Human Rights Commission. Find out more online at eagleherc, I-G-L-H-R-C dot org. This is Steve Pride. Thanks for listening. Oh, a storm is threatening my very life today. If I don't get some shelter, oh yes, I'm gonna fade away. Well, that was part one of a two-part interview. I simply adore Jessica. 
I, I feel like what she's talking about is stuff we need to be checking in with all the time. On a regular basis. Not just, you know, it's not, she's not saying, oh, we, you know, shouldn't push for same-sex marriage, but it is it's, increasing it's, our vision. Yeah, it's, it's it, it, but, but, but we have to remember the more visible we are, the more dangerous it is. Yeah. It, it is as well. I mean, the whole perceived homosexuality is, is, is it, it still boggles my mind, but, but, but the, the way people are being persecuted just for perceived you know, perceived mm-hmm. homosexuality. You know, that, that whole dinner party thing was just totally, totally just blew my mind. Oh, it's wonderful. And we, we forget what's going on in the rest of the world. You know, a couple of years ago, I had this wonderful guest who was a refugee here, but she was from Cameroon, and she'd been correctively raped. Wow. And ended up in the hospital for like six months. Wow. The friend it's, that was with her did not survive. It's just this is the kind of stuff that we need to, as we're moving forward, as we're making our choices, we just need to be checking in with the repercussions. And we have to understand and that. thinking what, about that. And but what we do in the U.S., like she said, has a ripple effect yeah. around the world. Yeah. Around the world. Oh, my goodness. Great interview, Steve. Amazing. Thank you. Amazing. Thank well, you, Steve. Still to come later in this show, my chat with the writer, director, and stars of the film Eat with me. Get ready, get ready, get ready, and get ready to get your chance to win your own DVD copy of Eat With Me. It's going to be at 818. Don't tell them yet. No. Don't tell them yet because no. they'll start calling. But, Why okay. can't uh, Wait, I want to the number. I want to hear from I want to tell them. Okay. Okay. You'll have to wait. Why don't we give away one copy now? Okay. Okay. Give them a number. One copy, Wenzel. Go ahead. Okay. Get ready, Wenzel. 818-985-5735. Again, that's 818 Nine eight five five seven three five. Wenzel, you you man that phone. Dial okay? it, honey. All right, make it happen. Because they're calling. Make All it right. happen. <laughs> and, and Jim Forat will share his account of the Stonewall Rebellion. Talk about ripple effects. And the time is now seven twenty nine. We will be right back. As I read the daily paper, I'm more and more amazed at a world that once was easy to define. For today I read a warning on this balmy summer morning of June 28th, 1969. It seems that there's an inn, an inn with homos within, a charming, adorable place, unassuming and quiet. But last night when the police came to establish some peace, the charming, adorable customers started a riot. So when you see two women walking arm in arm, don't give them any cause to feel alarm. Don't throw rocks and bellow. Cause the lesbians and gays are fighting back. The lesbians and gays are fighting back. Smile and say hello to any homo that you see on the street. Michael Bennett, dancer and choreographer. Coming up now on the Rainbow Minute. When Michael Bennett was 16, he attended a performance of West Side Story. That was it. He dropped out of school to join the touring company and began his career as a dancer. 
Debuting on Broadway in 1961, he had an even greater talent for choreography. Bennett was the brainchild of the Broadway hit A Chorus Line. Rather than commissioning a script, he interviewed scores of real-life dancers and threaded their experiences together for the storyline. A credit to Bennett's wizardry on stage, the award-winning show had a record run of 15 years at the Schubert Theater. He met similar success in 1981 with Dreamgirls. Bennett had relationships with both sexes, but those with men were less publicized. He died at 44, leaving a large portion of his estate to funding AIDS research. The Rainbow Minute is produced by Judd Proctor and Brian Burns and recorded in the studios at WRIR in Richmond, Virginia and read by volunteers like me, John DeBoer. Hi, I'm Alec Mappa, and you're listening to IMRU on KPFK 90.7 FM Los Angeles, 98.7 Santa Barbara, 99.5 China Lake, and 93.7 in San Diego. IMRU. Hear the voices of the silenced majority. You can't train men to kill, send them out to kill, celebrate them killing, and then expect them not to bring that war back home. Linking Iraq with terrorism is a lie. The attitude of journalists seems to be, we have freedom of dissent here, so you protesters just shut up. As a member of Congress, it is a great source of concern that we would move on the path of war without any proof. You know, they present the military as our only way to succeed in life because we come from a community infested with poverty and drugs and all of these things. We gather here today against a formidable machine, but they all can be rendered powerless when democracy is taken to the streets. Tune in to Democracy Now! Weekday mornings 6 to 7, then again 9 to 10, here on KPFK 90.7 FM.
Welcome back. You're listening to IMRU Radio. I am Steve Pride. I'm Abby Dees. And I'm Miss Barbecue. Happy Pride Month, y'all. And congrats, congrats to Deborah and Arnold for their for you their won. Yeah, they won your DVDs of Eat With Me. Hey, Deborah and Arnold. Thank it's you. Your song. DVDs coming, boom. <laughs> and that song coming out of break was, of course, performed by Miss Judy Garland. No. Miss Liza Minnelli. No, it was. Mr. Jim Bailey, perhaps what? the world's best female impressionist. He was known for his impersonations of, of course, Barbara Streisand, Phyllis Diller, and especially Judy Garland. Over the year... Uh, over Jim, the years. Over the years. Over the years. years. Since he was here, Jim years. Bailey was on um, IMRU several times. He was a kind man and a talented lady. I love that. He died May 30th of a heart attack brought on by pneumonia. He was 77 years old. Well, speaking of Judy, there's an urban legend that ties her funeral to the Stonewall Rebellion back in 1969. But one of my favorite people, Jim Verratt, shared a contradicting story with me about that night. And I think Pride Month is a great time to air it. Do you know Dorothy? Do you have the time? Have you got a light, dear? Change for a dime. Do you come here often? I see what you mean. I know a tavern where we won't be seen. I'm Jim Forat, and I've been rabble-rousing since the early 60s as an artist, as a political organizer, and I'm one of the few people that's willing to say that I don't celebrate the Stonewall Inn at all. It is a symbol to me of our oppression. Before 1969, we were grateful to have these mafia-run places because they were the only places that were safe to meet. Otherwise, we were left to the bushes or chance encounters of that kind. But they were very much a symbol to me of how we were oppressed and organized crime being a partner in that. What happened that night happened in the street, which fundamentally changed the lives of gay and lesbian people, regardless of what they call themselves, or cultures. But across the world, people know about Stonewall. But it's in the streets. That spark that was a spark of rebellion, a spark of liberation, did not happen inside that bar. And people like David Carter, who wrote uh, the book Stonewall Riots, celebrates, it depoliticizes in a very interesting way, the radical aspects of what happened in the street that night. So I've been to Stonewall maybe three times since then. If someone really is having an event that they really want me to be at and I love them very much, I will go for maybe five or ten minutes. But it's not something that I celebrate. It's owned by the same family that owned it in 1969. At the time, I was working at CBS, Columbia Records. I was an assistant to Clive Davis, and I did a lot of their marketing. You know, Clive has come out, and everyone knows, after being married and having two kids... For X amount of years, his wife died, he came out. I never knew that Clive was gay. And people always assumed that I got the job because I was this cute blonde Twinkie. But no, (laughs) I just want to put on the record, never knew that until one night I discovered him in the balcony of Studio 54 in a very compromising position, which then told me that, in fact, he was a gay man. But he was very discreet about it when I worked at Columbia Records. So I was working there. It's a Friday night. I was working late. And I was coming home, and Christopher Street starts at Greenwich Avenue, and the subway station lets you out at Greenwich Avenue and 6th Avenue. So I was walking along, 
Greenwich Avenue and I turned the corner on Christopher Street and I noticed a single cop's car parked in front of the Stonewall and a couple, may I emphasize, a couple of people outside of the bar. It was 10.30 at night. So like any good radical of the 60s, you see a cop's car in front of a place, 10.30 at night, a couple of people in front. I walked down and as I got close to the door to the bar, it opened. Now, I knew this bar. It was not a bar that I went to. I went to other bars in the neighborhood, unlike the David Carter book, saying that there weren't, there were. There was a great dance bar, for example. It's called the Cherry Lane. And the door opened, and out came what at the time was called a passing woman, meaning a female who was very masculine in her identity and dressed like a man and carried herself like a man. There were pejorative terms like bull dagger, bull dyke that would be used to describe her, but the sort of nicer word was passing woman, meaning that she passed as a man. And she was coming out and she was handcuffed and she was being big and burly. Everyone had a lot of gender expression that night, you know. And they put her in the police car in handcuffs and they went back inside. And I was, I was sort of stunned. And I stood there and it was a Saturday night. I mean, people started coming, you know, down the street to see what was going on. She started, she's big enough to rock the police car, you know, inside. And lo and behold, the cop had not locked the door on the other side and it popped open, much to her surprise, by the way. And so she got out, she raised her arms and she, she was big and burly, but she had women's wrists and she slipped out of those handcuffs because they were not done that tightly. And by now there might have been 40 people and a big cheer went up. And that to me is the moment that gay rebellion took place. That moment that was spontaneous, that no one would, I mean, no political person would have planned this event at that place, okay? And something happened and it changed forever, I believe, how we see ourselves and how we had the courage to come out now, what's interesting is right next door was the Mattachine Society, literally in the building next door. And the Mattachine had become a very different kind of political organization than it was when Harry Hay and the seven members founded it in Los Angeles. Anyway, that moment happens, and the cop comes out again and looks at the crowd who are now in full yelling, you know, and cheering, and cheering her in particular. Went back inside and closed the door. And from what I know from people that were inside, there were two cops. That was the moment when they called for reinforcements. Now, the David Carter book starts at midnight. And the two voices of authority in that book are the police officer who was overall in charge and a straight reporter named Howard Smith. Howard Smith was one of my best friends. I will say to you right here, I do not believe that Howard was inside the Stonewall. But Howard, being a certain kind of reporter, could confabulate in a very beautiful way a story. And so those are the two voices that David Carter uses to say what went on. The police officer has yet to ever admit that there was a payoff going on. He would not say that the cops took money. And this was well known. I mean, this was not an unusual event to happen at a gay bar, usually early in the evening for the cops to come and get their weekly or monthly or whatever the time circuit was. I don't know what the problem was. I don't know what the problem was inside, but they didn't get their pay according to what they thought they should be getting, and there was a, they were leaning. And the patrons were used to this, and, and some of the more 
how shall we say, well, some of the, the queens, and there weren't a lot of queens let into the Stonewall. You have to understand, the Stonewall was set up for a very specific clientele. It was a place where closeted, sometimes married men would go to meet young men, usually hustlers, or chicken was the word that was used for very young men. They didn't let a whole lot of queens in. They didn't let a whole lot of people of color in. There was a very strong door person there. Always was this huge Italian man who would let you in and not let you in. And they called for reinforcements. Three more police cars came. Now, you see a lot of pictures of paddy wagons with queens getting into the paddy wagon. They are not from that night. There was very little documentation of what actually happened that night. So people scrambled, and media scrambled to figure out. Remember, the Village Voice was on the corner. And this is never talked about. But I was very good friends with the Village Voice people because in the 60s, I was a cultural person. So I knew Howard, and I knew all the Village Voice people. They made up the story of Judy Garland because they couldn't figure out why these gay people were so upset in the street. Now, I'm a Judy Garland fan. I'm old enough to have seen Judy Garland. I tell people I sang with Judy Garland, and I did, but I was one of like the 1,200 gay men that were in the Carnegie Hall when she recorded Judy at Carnegie, and at one point she has us all sing together. So I'm not an anti-Judy Garland person at all, and I knew Liza really well when she was young. We were both in the theater. But no, Stonewall had nothing to do with Judy Garland's death. Around the corner is a bar called Julius's, which is still there. And that's where the men that might have been mourning Judy's, uh, she had her funeral that day, might have been there drinking their tears away, but not the Stonewall. So I just want to get that out of the way. No, that's a myth, not true. Nothing wrong with Judy, but she had nothing to do with what happened that night. Trust me, no one was talking about Judy in front of the Stonewall or inside the Stonewall. Now, it's a very small place. If you were to put all the people that say they were in there dancing on the tables, <sighs> the reason I'm saying some of these things to you, Steve, is that I think the truth is much more interesting than the myth. What we were able to do as a community that had never made any noise, who had never stood up for themselves, was not allowed in any political organization unless we were closeted. What happened that night freed us to do all those things. Yes. People did things before Stonewall. And yes, if you're holding on to it, are entitled to that memory. And I think that it all built the kind of sensibility for what happened to Stonewall. Why did Stonewall get the attention? Because it was in New York City, the media capital of the world. New York City is organized. It's physically very different than L.A. or San Francisco. I don't have the words to tell you how the exuberance was in the air, the, the lack of fear was in the air, you know, the sort of group crowd mentality. And my life is full of happenstance. People say, I don't believe you were there. Well, I was there. And why was I there? I can only say happenstance, you know. This has been a conversation with Jim Farratt. This is Steve Pride. Thanks for listening. To hear it told, everyone was at Stonewall. It's widely known. Not so was whole Every year has New York tales tell the stone
Jim Farrat. Where do you find this music, Steve? I love it. <laughs> it's awesome. I'm a gay man that spent time doing theater in New York. You I have, know every show. You have a library. I'm going to have to invade it. I didn't know Stonewall was owned by the mafia. Well, a lot of bars back then were mafia-owned or mafia-run. That trips me out. Things have changed, honey. Oh, my goodness. We think of Stonewall in the context of our world, but back then, you couldn't even go into a bar. We'd be arrested if you weren't wearing at least one article of your gender assigned clothing. You couldn't dance with somebody else of the opposite gender. I would get arrested for walking out of the radio station right now just because I did not dress up to come in today. Wow. Yep. I know. Not to say there weren't drag queens there, but we, our concept has changed. We think Lady Bunny when we see drag queens, but yeah. back then it would be she's wearing some high heels. Yeah. And a man's suit. Yeah. But, you know, it is heels. such a reminder, like two things. Things change, and you cannot bring your contemporary understanding of t- to the past all the time. No. And the other thing is that just when people have had enough, people have had enough. People have had enough. Whatever the disagreement, you know, of course, I was at Stonewall. I was four, but I was at Fort Stonewall. But, you know, whatever the, the disagreements about that, it's very clear. People had enough. Yeah. And that was the moment that they started showing it. And he mentioned that there were some things that happened before. You talked about yeah. Los Angeles. And we are going to get into that in the next month. Yep. Yes, absolutely. About the black cat. I'm so excited about that, too. Yeah. Because we had our own. So anyway, switching gears from Stonewall, a festival fave, Eat With Me, has finally been released on DVD. Oh, my goodness, Some people already want it. And and, and you guys, I dug in my purse. Some of you already know I looked in my purse, and we have one more copy of Eat With Me DVD. We on, do? Yes, we do. She we had have to one dig. more. I had to dig. I, I, but you're I was, holding one back for me. I was going to take it home, honey, but I've, I decided to be nice and give it to everybody. I so if you, you dial, earned it, so Steve. if you dial right now, 818-985-5735. Again, get your phone ready. Say, okay, Google, 818-985-5735. You can get your own copy, DVD of Eat With Me. I like that it's not Siri you're talking to. It's, it's OK Google. <laughs> OK Google. <laughs> and now, Steve Pride reports on Eat With Me. Right on. Slight difficulty with that. Do we have the correct one queued up now? That was my bad. What did you do that, girl? I pressed the wrong button. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. We, we, that we, purse we, got we, in the way. We are a small staff here. And I pressed the wrong and button. And your purse is too big, and you <laughs> pressed the wrong button. <laughs> okay, we'll, we'll, it's we'll, a belkin. We'll get a from them when they're ready for that. <laughs> we'll play in just a moment, guys. Absolutely. Well, maybe you should give out another 100 copies of the DVD. I know, and no. they could watch it at home. Well, 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 my film, Leave It on the Floor, is also being distributed by Wolf 2. So, for so, all so. your LGBT video needs. Yeah, for all your LGBT video needs. Wolf is amazing. Like, I've worked with them when I was over in London, too. Do we have a winner or a, excuse me, a, a caller? Well, Wenzel's on the phone. Right Wenzel's, Wenzel's, Wenzel's on the, on the phone. phone. He's writing furiously, but maybe he's just, you know, talking to friends, taking <laughs> notes. He's, he's ordering, tweeting. He's ordering he's pizza. He's on Grindr back there in the <laughs> control room. He's ordering pizza. Actually, since we have a little moment here of unscripted time, mm-hmm. I want to know if any of our listeners ha- were at Stonewall. I'm just putting that out there right now. Or, sta- or, 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 or as Jim Jim Farad says, who's standing outside Stonewall. Or, yeah, just in they the have a Stonewall story to tell. Yes, that'd Give be us, interesting. Let us know. I'd love to hear about that. Or if you were Black Cat or any of those other places before Stonewall. Give us a call here at 818-985-5735. This is so exciting. Okay, we're getting a check-in on some of our technical issues here. And we do we have do we have the segment? 
Is it coming? We're waiting. Well, um, well, well, on on the other news, too, you know this weekend is Gay Pride. And are you going to be there? I'm going to be there. I just got asked to march in the parade. Yay. It's my third year in a row marching in the parade. And I'm going to be marching with the Transparent. You know the show Transparent? Yes. The show Transparent on Amazon. They hit me up and asked me if I would like to march with them. So we're going to be, I'm going to be marching with the Transparent float. Not that I am not thrilled that you are marching with Transparent, but <laughs> who else is going to be there marching with Transparent? I want to know. I want to know. Are the stars going to be there? The stars are going. The stars of Transparent are going to be there. That is a great. It's going to be, and they and they have a hashtag. I think the hashtag is hashtag Be Transparent. One whole one whole word. Oh, cool. And there's always a hashtag. What they do the, with the two fingers now? You do yes. the two fingers hashtag. We have a winner. Hey, okay, Wenzel. Wenzel is hey, here. I came in to announce it was so special, but we have a winner, Mike in North Hollywood. Mike Yay! Hollywood. Mike. A DVD as well. No Ho Mike. Thank you so much. <laughs> We're going to call you him No and Ho Mike. It looks like you may have to watch that video to learn more about this boom the show. <laughs> yeah, there's been a technical difficulty, and I will post the um, entire feature and interview with the filmmakers and the actors on the IMRU Radio Facebook page. Yes. All right. So, so please go there and like us and maybe we'll win something because every once in a while we give something away to people just for liking us. Yes, it's really because cool. Because my mama said, well, maybe Steve, you can buy friends at school. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> so I stopped crying for a while and went back. Is your mom a listener by any chance? Well, that's a bad person. I hope not. That's really okay, bad Okay, because I did have something there. I needed to talk to her about, but no, that's all right. No, no. <laughs> okay. She's, but, but, she's but, passed on. But oh, LA, LA Pride is this weekend. Ellie Prize this weekend from the 12th to the 14th. Go down there, wave at Miss Barbecue. Yes, it'll be a, it'll be an amazing weekend if you haven't already been to LA Pride. Unfortunately, I am or you. It's not going to be there as a group this year. I know, year. I know. We, we couldn't. Can, but maybe next year. Maybe we had a lot of fun. We'll I had a lot of fun driving you through the streets of West Hollywood, did Miss you, B. Did, I did. Did you like that? Although the, the, my deep dark secret that I got to tell about you is you were looking I know, fabulous. I know you're going to say it. I'm going to say it. You oh were looking God. fabulous from the waist up because you were sitting in the back of my car. <laughs> what the audience did not see was that she was wearing big old German comfort shoes. That's right. Inside the car. <laughs> Jessica. Well, that gives me a segue from <laughs> that ride. <laughs> <laughs> this ride is the end of our ride. Uh, gather, <laughs> gather your personal courage, take Tim Politico's by the hand, and exit to the far left of the tram's forward motion. Our thanks to tonight's director, Matthew McLaughlin. McLaughlin. Yes. Yes, Miss B's big purse. Um, <laughs> PA and social media master, Wenzel Jones, coordinating producer, Steve Pride, and our Rainbow Minute producers, Jed Proctor and Brian Burns. Now, you know, you can follow us on Facebook at IMRU Radio. Just click on it where the link to the latest show is posted by noon every Tuesday. You and tomorrow you can hear also the Eat With Me uh, interview. The Eat With Me interview. Exactly. So, so you get an extra special treat by noon every Tuesday. Hey. And our thanks to everyone who donated during the KPFK Spring Fun Drive that we just finished. Uh, really, thank you. It means a lot to us to know that you just care. Yes. But remember, you can also support us anytime. You hear it, baby? Anytime using your celly to donate ten dollars, just text KPFK to two zero two two two. You know, celly is a term for your like cellmate. self. So, oh, oh, self. You learned so many things <laughs> sorry. in the show. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I used to work. I used to do work with inmates. I just you can to use it. Okay, you, well, well, you can also use your cellmate to text. Yes, that's if right. you need to. But but, but we phone. but we advise you you use your cell phone. Yes. To text KPFK at two zero. I gotta say it two zero. Two, two, two. Okay, let's segue from the unfortunate incarceration. <laughs> <of the village. laughs> 
<laughs> to the Tony Awards last night. Yes. Very exciting. Um, the water cooler moment really was when 11-year-old Sydney Lucas sang her moving anthem, Ring of Keys. From Fun Home, the lesbian-centric winner of this year's Tony for Best Musical. I'm so excited about that. I want to see it. So, so we're going to close the show with that performance, guys. Good night. Good night. Good night. You didn't notice her at first, Dad, but I did. I saw her the minute she walked in. I'd never seen a woman who looked like her. It was like I was a, a traveler in a foreign country who runs into someone from home. Someone they've never met before, but somehow just recognizes. Someone just came in the door Like no one I ever saw before I feel I feel I don't know where you came from I wish I did I feel so dumb I feel your swagger and your bearing and the just right clothes you're wearing your short hair and your dungarees and your lace-up boots and your keys oh your ring of keys i thought it was supposed to be I'm okay with being strong, I want You're so It's probably conceited to say But I think we're alike in a certain way I I know you I know